Welcome to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network, a show that streams health, happiness, and hope to the kidney community. You can download all Kidney Talk shows from iTunes and find a variety of resources to help you navigate this illness at rsnhope.org. Please welcome your host, Lori Hartwell, who has lived with kidney disease since the age of two. Well, welcome to Kidney Talk. Um, today we have an amazing woman. Her name is Artis Bazin, and she inspires me every day. I I know her through my uh, women's organization that I belong to. And, you know, she has been living um, with being blind since she was a teenager. And she's going to tell us a little bit about her story and some strategies she uses to uh, live a fulfilling life. So welcome to the show, Artis. Well, thank you for inviting me. Well, Artis, tell us a little bit about how you lost your eyesight. I was living in Sioux Falls, South Dakota at the time, and my boyfriend invited me to go with him to a rodeo in Clear Lake, South Dakota, which is a couple hours away. After the rodeo, we went back and met at his place, met a friend of his, and then decided to go out and eat. Well, the last thing I remember was climbing into the car. Uh, Next time I woke up, I was in the hospital, and they told me that we had been driving on a gravel road, which was unknown to the driver. We went over a hill, and there was immediately a dead end, and he couldn't stop in time. Evidently, in the past, different farmers had knocked the sign off with their hay wagons, and the county people just decided they didn't want to bother keep putting it back up. So consequently, they put it at the end of the dead end, which obviously isn't helpful. <laughs> it really is <laughs> a dead end, it isn't it? So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I was, they think I hit my head on the dash or either on the mirror. They aren't positive, but I had a gash across my left eye from the bottom corner to the top of my other eye. So it was my eye was a little scratched, but um, the lid was, you know, cut through. And my mom, <laughs> of course, my mom was pretty graphic. She said you could see my brains kind of coming out. <laughs> and how old were you at the time? I was 20. I had been working in Sioux Falls for a couple of years. So I had been on my own and I was living with my sister, Barb, who was a year younger than me. So they called her immediately and said, hey, they were sending me from DeSmet, South Dakota, which is where he was living, to uh, Sioux Falls in an ambulance because I was in such bad shape they didn't expect me to make it through. I had a broken nose, broken jaw. My face was pretty well smashed, and I had some stitches on my knee and ankle. But they had told my parents when they did come to the hospital that was unlikely I'd make it through. Wow. And how many years ago was that? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You can fudge the numbers a little bit, but generally. Okay. Well, it was almost 40 years ago. Wow. And, you know, it just just goes to show you, you can't believe everything doctors say, right? (laughs) That's right. Well, my family has always had a lot of faith. We've Mm -hmm. always gone to church. We've always felt that God was there to call on when we needed him, and they right away called all the prayer chains that they knew of and asked family and friends for prayer support. So they thought that would (laughs) help, and obviously it did, because I uh, 
live through it. Well, and the thing is, is that you state, and, and I hear you say it often, you know, that you found this more as an opportunity rather than a challenge. Can you explain a little bit about your mindset about that? I had lost a younger sister. She was 12 at the time in our car accident just a few months before my accident. Consequently, I knew my parents were really hurting and were really upset and devastated. So I actually wasn't thinking about myself at the time. I was thinking about them and the fact that I really didn't want to bother them. I really didn't want them to worry about me, that I was going to be okay. And I'd always been a pretty independent person. I even remember a story my parents told me about when I was two. She had undressed me and was undressing my sister to put her in the bathtub with me, and I ran down the street, and she caught me two blocks later almost on Main Street. <laughs> and so she always tells me that. She said, I knew you were independent from day one. And I guess... <laughs> no, you were a streaker. You weren't independent. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I don't know. I just always felt that I could make the challenges. And that's not to say there haven't been things I couldn't do and things I struggled with. I struggle on a daily basis with different things that I just cannot do myself. And it, you know, gets frustrating. But I've always wanted to try the next thing, try the next opportunity. Well, I, I know. And, and you talk a little bit about visual, visualization. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting because, you know, you're, you're visually impaired, but you use visualization to help you cope. Can you talk about that process? As I'm looking at new opportunities, I kind of visualize what I can do. Like when I was going through a tough time, my uh, last husband was having a lot of physical problems. My best way to get through that was visualizing myself going to college, getting through it, getting a diploma, walking across the stage, and going to the next step and trying a new career. And every step of my life, I've always just kind of looked forward as to what things will be happening or would be happening versus looking back at what has transpired. That's always helped me to move forward. Too many times we struggle with things and then we say, okay, I'm not going to do anything else. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go on. I'm just going to forget and stay home and not do that. And that's never been my mindset. I've always looked forward and set goals. And keep trying. Well, it's so, it's it's so important to focus on what you can do instead of what you can't do. And, right. You know, I think about um, you know how now you have a family. How many kids do you have? Tell us a little bit about that. Sure, I have two daughters. I have one daughter that lives in the Netherlands. She's lived there for seven years with her husband, and she has a two-year-old. She's a specialist in technology and finance for a huge insurance conglomerate that's all over the world. And then my other daughter is a CPA, and she lives in Lawton, Oklahoma right now. Her husband's in the Army, so they have to move every three years. They've been in North Carolina for a few years. They just moved to Oklahoma last year. So she has a 13-year-old who just was accepted last month to be a high school cheerleader. <laughs> so she's in cheer. So they're both very active and busy people. <laughs> you know, I've known you for several years, Artis, and, you know, you would never know that you're visually impaired by your attitude, what you, I mean, you're the secretary of our organization at one point. And so you were taking minutes and, you know, talk us a little bit about, you know, 
how you utilize technology and a little bit about your business because I think a lot of people believe when you know they lose in some kind of sense that they're not able to you know fulfill all the things that they used to do. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I use lots of technologies, uh, low tech and high tech. I use talking gadgets. I have a talking scale. I use a talking calculator. I do all my own bookkeeping. I even do my own taxes. I use Tax Act Online. I am real active in trying to get all companies to have their websites very accessible so that blind people and other people with disabilities can access everything online. So what do you look for on a website? I mean, would you just take the mouse around and see if you could actually navigate it and find if you're able to locate, or does the website talk to you? What are some of the things you would look for? Okay, I use speech on my computer. That's a speech program. Actually, I have one on one computer and a different speech on another computer because sometimes uh, the one will access things better than the other one will. And so when I'm looking at accessibility, if I can't find it on one, I'll use the other. Now, I do not use the mouse. I use the keyboard only. Mm -hmm. So consequently, there's different commands that I can use to access things. Like when I'm on a website, I'll hit H, and that'll jump me to the next heading if the website is made correctly. Some websites, you do that, and nothing will happen. It'll say no headings. Okay. But if, if if it's laid out correctly, I can jump from thing to thing by doing the heading thing. Also, um, I use the links, and some websites have gone to the click buttons, and I can access the click buttons, although sometimes the click buttons, I have to tab into them. In order for me to click on them, it seems like sometimes I can't just arrow down, look at the click, and enter. It won't always open, so then I'll have to go back and tab into it, and then it'll open. But usually that works as long as it's stated. Now, there are some websites that don't have the things labeled, and they just have a, oh, like a star or something that shows you, well, the mouse should click there. Well, if it's not labeled with text or doesn't have an obvious button or it says link, my, you know, my software will tell me link or click, and then I can click on them. I have a real problem with my bank website, for example. I use U.S. Bank, and it's accessible uh, most of the places. I can find the links to get my accounts. I can get at my transactions. I can pay bills online. But to make a deposit, I have to click on so many links before I find a page that actually has a link to make a deposit. And sometimes I can't find one at all. It'll say transfers and deposits, but there's no link there. And so it's it's really frustrating when I can't do it. So then I have to have my husband help me make the deposit. You know, in this day and age with all the technology, a large company like that should you know, have everything in place because, you know, there are a lot of people who are, uh, you know, who are blind and aren't able to see. You'd think that they would be on top of that, right? Right. (laughs) And they have improved it some because originally when they went to their new website, I was having lots of problems. And then I called them and they told me how to access it. And now I can access most things, but that's still a frustrating one. And I've sent a couple notes to their support, but they don't seem to uh, get it. At least they haven't yet. So I'll probably have to nag them some more. I'm not a real big nag. You know, I usually let people know and then let it go until I get really frustrated again, and then I'll 
bug him again. <laughs> Sometimes I just need to be more. You're a little persistent, right? You know, just a cautiously persistent. Well, tell us a little bit about, I'm curious, like, you know, what you figure out to wear in the morning. How do you match clothes? How do you tell different, you know, denominations of money? Um, some of the things that, you know, people who can see take for granted. <laughs> money, I fold. So, for example, I leave my one straight in my wallet, and I fold my fives in half, and then my tens I fold in half and then in half again. Oh, now, twenties, okay. I fold them in half and in half again, only perpendicular. So, it's got a fold on the corner, and that's how I tell my bills. Now, I, you can get these little talking gadgets you can put in your purse to tell you the bill thing, but when you're in a line, you know, you don't want to take the time to pull it out and have it work and so forth. And people would get really frustrated with you. It's much faster just to say, okay, can you tell me which one's the 10? Mm-hmm. Because usually by the way they count it out, I'll know that, okay, there must be a 10 in there or there's two fives because of the number of bills. So that's a lot quicker than pulling out a gadget. Uh, coins are no problem. You can feel them. So that's not an issue. As far as clothes, I try to buy clothes that are different in feel. So each time I get a top, I try to have it a little bit different than another top. I try not to get things that are identical. I do have a couple of shells that are both identical. One's red and one's purple. And I do have some pants that I have that are identical. So I have to just make sure that I keep them with, you know, what I'm wearing them with so I know what color they are. Neutral colors, mm-hmm. like slacks and skirts, unless I buy a top, something to go with something, then I usually do the neutral thing. <laughs> well, I know you always look wonderful. And so, you know, it's just some of the things that uh, we take for granted. Now, I know that you're a world traveler. And what was interesting to me is you just shared a story about uh, where you went to a hotel and they didn't have the um, braille <laughs> on the side of the door. Um, tell us about some tips that you utilize for traveling. Yeah, most hotels are very good. They have the ADA labeled besides the rooms, and it's older hotels that sometimes I have an issue with that problem, but not not too many. When I travel, I always ask for assistance. And sometimes it's not necessary. Like when I go to an airport, when I sign in, I right away tell them I would like a meet and assist person. And then they find someone that'll walk me to the gate. Or if I'm doing a transfer, they'll meet me at the gate and walk me to my next gate. And occasionally I'll have an issue where somebody won't show up. So I'll ask somebody nearby, well, hey, can you tell me which direction the gate is? And that's that works okay as long as the gate's not in another terminal. You know, if it's further away, then I just have to ask again, well, hey, could you check and make sure someone's coming? And if I have an hour layover, it's, it's not a problem. It's more problematic if it's a real short one. And if I hear a customer saying that they're going the same way I'm going, sometimes I'll just ask them, hey, can I walk with you? <clears throat> you just have to be out there and make sure you let them know what you need. Well, I think that's a key point, too, is asking for what you need, because I know oftentimes people just wait and they they want people to uh, be mind readers (laughs) 
and and you can't play that game. I mean, if you you have to really ask for what you want. You know, you were sitting there with a cane and, you know, basically if you're waiting for somebody to come up and approach you, do you need something? That's not going to happen. And I mean, that's more of a, a bold type of a statement. But it's interesting to me. I meet a lot of people and they think, you know, you have to ask for what you need. And, right. um, and if you're you know, in a state of mind. And I, I think it's all in how you ask, too. Wouldn't you say that, artist? Oh, definitely. I always ask with a smile, and I'm always polite to people. I don't yell and holler at people. I have known some blind people, when someone opens a door for them, they'll say, hey, I don't need your help. And I think that's totally rude. If someone opens a door for me, I always say thank you. And if someone asks if they can help me, I just say yes. That would be great. Um, I need to go here. Or if I don't need the help, I mean, I've had people try to walk me across the street and then walk me across the wrong street. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and you have to just say, hey, I'm okay. What I'm doing, I'm, I'm fine. And then most people will just let it go then. Mm-hmm. What I really get annoyed with is if people take me by the arm and start pushing me. Okay. Because I like to know... Um, what, where I'm walking. So if someone pushes me by the arm, I right away lift up my arm so they have to let go, and then I'll take their arm and say, hey, I'd be glad to walk with you. Right. But it's easier if I follow versus you pushing me. Um, have you ever thought about having a guide dog? Yes, I have. When I first lost my sight and went into rehab, they asked me if I'd consider a guide dog. But I've always been very independent and didn't want to have to depend on things more than I had to. And if you have a dog, you have to wait for the dog, you have to walk the dog, you have to groom the dog. It's liking having a kid. And I didn't want to have to deal with that extra. And of course, when you travel, then you'd have to bring extra stuff. And if they get sick, then you have a problem, unless you have a, brought a cane along with you too. Because you always need to have cane travel training anyway because the dog can get sick. And as they get older, they start having more issues. They get more stubborn and don't want to do what you want them to do. So I, I've just never felt comfortable with the idea of a guide dog. So you have a company called Bazin Communications. Tell everybody a little bit about what you do and what your company provides. And you're also the author of several books. My company is um, multifaceted. We have business coaching. I do inspirational speaking, and I do writing projects for individuals and companies. I do everything from speaking for small groups to large groups. And then individual coaching, I do on a number of topics. Probably my most requested is setting goals and priorities for the future. I've worked with boards of directors as far as helping them to set goals for the future, also, I've written lots of manuals for organizations, for like officers, directors, a lot of membership articles on how to get new members. And I do a lot of writing. I'm the chair of a publication called Avenderscope Magazine. It's 60 pages every quarter. And I write a lot of the articles for that publication, as well as doing articles for companies and individuals. I've done everything from press releases to writing copy for people's websites, brochures, writing bios for people that they wanted to put on their website, and other writing projects. Sometimes people don't like to write an article because they feel like they aren't sure exactly how to write one. 
And so I can interview someone and write an article for them, and then they could call it their own, basically ghostwriting for them. And they want to put an article in a publication for their particular genre. I've written several articles for a friend of mine who's a family and children's coach. I mean, not coach, uh, therapist is the right word. And also other companies that want something written, but they aren't comfortable doing it themselves. Well, how do we find out about your company? I have a website. It's bazincommunications.com, and it has a listing of the different speaking topics on which I speak. It has a shopping cart, which has my books. I've written four books, plus I wrote a chapter and another book, and they're all available on my website. I'm working on another book about myself, which... I need to get to my uh, publisher one of these days. <laughs> I keep uh, getting, keeping too busy sometimes to get it out. Well, we always find a reason not to write sometimes, don't we? <laughs> I've got the draft done, but I keep thinking of things I can add to it. And I did send a third of it to a friend of mine to kind of go through. She's an English teacher to kind of check for my, make sure I didn't miss something grammar-wise. I think I'm pretty good, but sometimes you can get too close to your own projects. Oh, definitely. So it's kind of good if you can run it by other people. Editors are worth their weight in gold, I've found. <laughs> <laughs> Artists, can you give any advice for somebody who's, you know, you know, maybe going blind? I mean, diabetes is the number one cause of kidney failure uh, or maybe struggling um, with being visually impaired. I think a support network is very key. Do not leave out your friends. Um, talk to your family and friends about some of your struggles. It's always good to have friends and family that you can talk to. They never will totally understand your situation, but it's good to have people that you can ask for assistance when you need it. Don't be afraid of doing that. I sometimes try to do too much myself and don't ask enough when I need assistance. Another thing, I always tell them to make sure that they check out what's available there are rehabilitation agencies who can work with you to help you to decide what you want to do in the future. If you can keep your job by getting some technology assistance or if you're not working and want to work, there is are rehab agencies that can assist you with getting the training that you need and the equipment you need. There's technologies that they are willing to purchase for you. The third thing I would say is not to be afraid contact support groups. I'm a member of the California Council of the Blind, which is an affiliate of the American Council of the Blind, and we invite anyone that's losing their sight, even if they're not legally blind as yet, even if they're just losing some, to come and join a chapter and participate because we have lots of wonderful speakers that talk on a lot of related topics for people with visual impairments on how to do a lot of things. And just meeting with other people that are having similar struggles can help a vulnerable person feel much more confident in themselves. You see other people going through it or that have gone through it, it does help you. Well, and that's what happens with a lot of people who, you know, have to start dialysis. They think their life's over if they have to go on dialysis. And then when you meet other people who are living their lives fully in spite of having to rely on a machine to live, um, it's the same thing. And then you learn new strategies on how to live effectively with the illness. And that's what you really get from peer support. I mean, 
you know, there's great physicians and healthcare professionals out there, but they don't know what it's like to live uh, daily with a disability. (laughs) That's right. That's right. And, you know, you have to learn those tips and tricks from others who've gone before you. That's right. So, well, thank you, artists. I appreciate you um, sharing your story. You're an inspiration. And um, I look forward to, I I understand, I heard a a little bird told me that you're probably going to be our president of our organization. I don't know if you've heard that, but uh, (laughs) I look forward to following your leadership and I look forward to where you bring our group. Well, thank you for saying that. It's always a struggle as president to make sure you do and ask the right people to assist and make sure you delegate and (laughs) move things forward. Exactly. But you know what? You stood up to be a leader, and I think that's fantastic because the secret to happiness is helping others. And I know that you know that, and that's why um, we connect on so many levels. Definitely. Thanks for listening to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network. Please make sure to find us on Facebook or sign up for our newsletter at rsnhope.org. Kidney Talk is intended for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment from your physician. Always seek the advice of your own health care provider regarding your medical condition.